Good morning, church. Uh, if you're joining our live stream for the first time, my name is Brendan, one of the pastors here at Sovereign Grace Church in Wurunga. We're so thrilled you're joining us. We're in the middle of a series on Colossians, and so I want to invite you, uh, if you have your Bibles, turn them open to Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. And I'm going to read and then pray for us, because we need God's help. Friends, this is the word of the living God to us, to you this morning. Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance, of understanding, and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. In whom are hidden all the treasures of of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Would you join with me in praying? Lord, thank you so much this morning that you speak, that you have spoken. Lord, as your people, we come before your throne on high and we just want to bow the knee and we want to ask you to help us. Lord, help us treasure this. Help us treasure this word, Lord. Make it as sweet as honey to our lips. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, one of the realities of our COVID-19 world is that in many ways, it can feel like the world is being pulled apart. Physically being pulled apart. This is a tough one for me because I'm a hugger. I'm a, I'm a bit more of a touchy-feely kind of guy and no hugs or gatherings. Uh, our borders are closed, no travel, or at least limited travel. Globalization, it feels like it's kind of stumbling in terms of world trade. Socioeconomically, it feels like we're being torn apart. Those least well-off are the most likely to be laid off as a result of COVID-19. I read this week in the newspaper that Liverpool has been the uh, region of our state and our city that's been most harshly affected by COVID-19 layoffs. Racially, it feels like we're being torn apart. Um, recently, obviously, with the George Floyd incident and with the Black Lives Matters movement in the United States in particular, uh, where there's been outcries against police abuse and generations of racism and discrimination against people. 
even closer to home uh, in Australia, which has highlighted the treatment of Indigenous people who represent 3% of our nation and yet 30% of our prison population, seeming generations of abuse. It feels like we're being torn apart. Even in midst of the protests themselves, there's been division, where thousands have come to protest, and yet seemingly thousands have been somewhat feeling angered and uncomfortable about the protest, feeling it would be risking more lives. And the question that it's left many people wondering is, what can bring us back together? And people have put forward in numerous solutions to bring us back together. Better legislation. Do we need an anti-racism policy as a nation? Incarceration laws and reform. The recognition of Indigenous Australians in our constitution. Do we need new government, the removal of certain leaders and the addition of other leaders? Do we need more investment in healthcare? Do we need a vaccine for COVID-19 or better access for all to healthcare or less regulation of healthcare or more regulation of healthcare? Do we need better education, more training in ethics, more training in history, more training in human rights? You know, the thing about these suggestions is that every single one of them has some merit. But according to scripture, none of them can truly bring us back together. Why is that? Well, quite simply, they're too superficial. They don't go far enough. Though each of the above suggestions may bring some good to believe that they alone are capable of bringing us together is to underestimate our degree of brokenness. You see, to assume that all people are intrinsically good and therefore all we need is a little more education or a little better government or a little more investment, though those things might be good, to assume that's all we need is to miss the biblical picture of our brokenness. You see, the Bible teaches our brokenness is far more profound. It goes to our core. It goes to our very hearts. Our hearts have rejected God and therefore rejected love for the things of God, the people that he has made. And they've become turned in on ourselves. We've become selfish and self-obsessed. And we need more than new laws. We need radical transformation. But here's the wonderful truth. One of the beautiful realities of the gospel is the way in which it radically transforms us and binds us together. You know, a few weeks ago we read Paul describing the church in Colossae as being Christ's body. This picture of diversity and yet unity all at the same time. We see, especially further on in this letter, that Colossae was this really unusual group of people because they were so diverse, Jews and Greeks who didn't normally have anything to do with each other, circumcised and uncircumcised, those following the Old Testament law and those who weren't at all, uh, barbarians, the ESL of the day, Scythians, people from this rural backwater, the, the sort of hillbillies and rednecks of the day uncultured, even slaves and free, slave masters, all together as one people. 
all joined together so tightly as one body, and all because of Christ and the power of the gospel. But here's the glorious truth we see in our passage this week. You see, our unity is more than just a fun fact that flows out of the gospel. Our unity is a primary means by which we experience the fullness of Christ, our matchless treasure. If you're taking notes this morning at home, uh, I've entitled this message, Christ, Our Treasure, because he's our treasure altogether. And I've got three points that come from the text, but really one heart for us this morning, and that is that we would see that Christ is a matchless treasure who we experience most richly when we're together. That Christ is a matchless treasure. There is no treasure like him. And we experience him most richly when we're together. Well, let's dive into our first point uh, this morning, which is point number one, Paul's great struggle. You see, last week we had this wonderful insight from Dave uh, into Paul's ministry. And it revealed some of his great struggles uh, for the gospel. And our passage this week really flows on from what Paul was talking about last week. So in order to understand about what Paul's talking about this week, we're going to start back in verse 24 of uh, chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles there, uh, I'm going to read it for us now. Verse 24 says this. Now I rejoice in my suffering, says Paul, for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Paul had this amazing joy in the midst of his sufferings, and man, he suffered. How did he do it? How did he find that joy? Well, the answer is that he saw his sufferings as purposeful, incredibly purposeful. They were appointed by God for the sake of the body of Christ, for their good for the good of the body of Christ and for the glory of the Lord. And so Paul saw his sufferings as Christ's afflictions. He saw that what happened to him happened to Christ. How? Because of the gospel. Paul saw himself as being entrusted with God's mystery. That is God's secret. He saw himself as being completely united with Christ. God's mystery, God's secret. You see, God had always intended to send Christ to reconcile himself to the world through the cross. And so we read again in verse 27, Paul says the following. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. The beautiful mystery that God had chosen to reveal to the saints was how great among the Gentiles are the riches, that is the abundance of the glory of this secret, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, the mystery, the secret was that God's plan was for all the world. This secret means he intended all along to send Christ. 
This secret which has now been revealed was abundantly glorious to him. Christ who simply through faith is in you. Paul saw that as amazing. And therefore he could see that his sufferings were the same as Christ's sufferings in the sense that what happened to him happened to Christ. Paul, having encountered Christ, was transformed. He'd been indwelt by the Spirit of Christ and he could rejoice regardless of his circumstances. More, he'd been given the task of serving Christ and proclaiming to all the churches throughout the world that he'd seen planted the name of Christ. Keep reading with me, verse 28 and 29. It says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone maturing Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. See, these new believers in Colossae, hearing this struggle of Paul, might now be tempted to kind of think, okay, Great, Paul. You know, great job caring for those and suffering for those churches uh, that you've been serving. That's that's wonderful. That's that's great. But how does it apply to us? Because kind of Paul, we haven't even met you. You know, you've never actually even been here. We don't actually even know each other. We've heard about you. We don't know you, Paul. You've never even visited here. Well, turn with me now to. Verse 1 of our passage, chapter 2, Paul says this. He says to the Colossians, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have had for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. See, Paul says in response to that question, I've not just been struggling for those that I've met. I've actually been struggling for you as well. In fact, my struggle is not just for the churches in the Lycus Valley uh, that were planted by Epaphras, you know, Colossae or Laodicea or one we'll hear about later on, Hierapolis. But it's actually for all believers who haven't met me face to face. You see, Paul saw his struggle to serve Christ and proclaim the gospel as being for the benefit of the entire body of Christ. All of his writing, all of his teaching was to build up, was to protect and encourage the body of Christ. His example of faith, his joyful endurance of suffering, his bold proclamation of the gospel, his heartfelt service and care for all he met was for more than just those he met and served. You see, Paul saw his struggle was for the sake of the entire body of Christ. How about for you? Do you see your life, your struggle of faith, as, for, as being for the benefit of the whole body of Christ? And here's the truth. I don't think we think this way. You know, my focus when it comes to my faith can be so incredibly inward. You know, my focus when it comes to following Christ is so often consumed with my own challenges, my own difficulties, my own anxieties. You know, even when it comes to thinking about my faith, it can be about my own feelings about my faith. How do I feel my faith is going? How am I feeling just in general in my spiritual walk? How close do I feel I'm walking with Christ? But here's the truth. Our struggle of faith 
just as the struggle of all who have walked before us in faith is designed to be for the benefit of more than just even those we know. Our struggle in the faith is purposed to be for the benefit of the entire body of Christ. There's just this amazing potential, therefore, in our walk with Jesus that through our lives, every believer from every time throughout all of history may receive blessing and encouragement. How is that possible? Verse 27 of chapter 1. The riches of the glory of the mystery of Christ, of the mystery which is Christ in you. Our lives have the potential to enrich not just us, not just even those we've met, but every single member of the body of Christ. Why? Because we're joined to them. But what exactly was Paul struggling to achieve amongst these new Christians he had never met? Well, read with me verse 2. Paul says this, The struggle I have for all those who have not even seen me face to face. What? That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. Paul says, firstly, my purpose in my struggle is that their hearts may be encouraged. You know, heart in the Bible doesn't simply mean what it means for us, which is just kind of our feelings, you know. Heart in the Bible, it's the inner you. It's your thoughts, it's your beliefs, it's your inner monologue, it's your will. And so Paul is saying, my struggle is to encourage, is to strengthen these believers. It's to strengthen their resolve, to strengthen their will. That's why he's toiling. But what does he want to strengthen their resolve in? He says, my purpose is that their hearts may be encouraged to be knit together in love. Paul wants to strengthen these believers. He wants to strengthen their resolve to be knit together, to be united together in love. Well, what does that mean? You know, I think part of our confusion here is that for us, in our culture, love is primarily a feeling. I have feelings for this person or that person. I'm in love with them. But love in the Bible is not less than feelings. But it is a lot more than just feelings. You see, love in the Bible is a commitment to the good of someone else, regardless what it costs you personally. And so Paul is saying, I'm toiling, I'm struggling, I'm striving with all the energy that God gives me, that you may be strengthened in your resolve to love, to be unified in love with those in your community in Colossae. Specifically, Paul has in mind the type of commitment that led Christ to reconcile himself to us. And that is the self-sacrifice of Christ. And so Paul is saying, this is my struggle, that you would be unified together in a commitment to the good of one another, regardless of what it costs you personally. Here's a question I want to think about uh, this morning as a church. How's your resolve to love those around you going? You know, as you think of the people in our church community, are you resolved 
Are you committed to loving them? It's so easy to forget that our lives are not primarily about us, they're about the glory of Christ. And Paul's great struggle was to encourage these new Christians to follow the example of Christ, to resolve to love those around them, no matter what the cost, to be knit together in love. Well, that's our point number one, Paul's great struggle. But now point number two, our matchless treasure. You know, this week, actually, it's been somewhat exciting in the newspapers because they've been buzzing with the discovery of a hidden treasure chest in the Rocky Mountains in the USA. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Forrest Fenn, uh, an 80, 89-year-old wealthy art and antiques dealer, had hidden this treasure over 10 years earlier. And he'd created a poem filled with clues which he placed in his autobiography called The Thrill of the Chase, And they estimate over 350,000 people had dedicated themselves to finding where this hidden treasure chest uh, was in the Rocky Mountains with a a sort of a treasure hidden inside estimated at over one million US dollars in value. Uh, Here's some lines from the poem just to get you infused. He he writes, if gold and gems are what you seek, we have a quest for you. Of well-worn trails in rocky mounts, a chest awaits one true. Of heart and mind, both resolute in purpose and in goal. Who knows no gold outshines the hues that sparkle in one's soul. And so all of these thousands of people from around the world were searching through this poem for over a decade, trying to figure it out, until this past week, someone finally solved it and found the treasure chest buried in the Rocky Mountains. There's something so exciting about that thought, isn't there? The thought of discovering a priceless treasure. The question I've been thinking about this week is, how would you approach life differently if you knew you had a precious treasure in your possession? I was thinking about it for me, and I was like, well, there's a whole bunch of things I wouldn't care about like so much, like investing or property or medical costs or tuition fees or bills or paying for expensive holidays. That wouldn't even be a worry anymore because I've got this amazing treasure. Here's the truth. We have something far more valuable than forest fens buried treasure. Read with me verse 2 again that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance, of understanding, and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. See, Christ is a matchless treasure that we possess by faith. And Paul has already been sharing about this treasure of Christ, how he's the creator who made everything that exists and sustains us all, how he has come and reconciled all things through the cross. But Paul now in our passage gives us a further three ways in which knowing Christ is a matchless treasure. Firstly, that knowing Christ brings the treasure of full assurance of understanding, he says in verse 2. You see, to know Christ is to be filled with the deepest assurance that Almighty God, who is merciful and gracious towards us, the Lord Jesus himself, who says in Matthew 11, 28, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take take my yoke upon you and, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. To know Christ is to know the one who says that. It's to know the, the, the Savior King who says in John 6, 37, all that the Father gives to me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. To know Christ is to know the one who never sends away those that come to him in faith. You see, so many of our anxieties in life come from a lack of assurance. Am I worth anything? Does my life have any purpose? Is there life for me beyond the grave? You know, even this week, I had a friend uh, confess to me that they've been plagued by a significant moral failure. And the question they're wrestling with is, can anyone forgive me for what I've done? They need the treasure that is full assurance of understanding that comes from Christ. Secondly, not just the treasure of full assurance of understanding that Christ brings, but also knowing Christ brings the treasure of knowing God's work in the world. In verse 2, Paul writes, he says, the knowledge of God's mystery, God's secret, which is Christ. See, looking out at the world, there seems so much chaos at the moment, doesn't there? There's death and disease and riots and financial breakdown and trade wars and environmental catastrophes. And it's so easy to feel very unsettled and anxious. But we have the treasure of knowing God's secret purpose in the world. And God's secret purpose is the glory of Christ. God's secret purpose for this world was always to send Christ, to reconcile it to himself to send his very own son who would offer his own flesh and blood as a sacrifice on our behalf. And the whole world is now waiting for his imminent return to complete that work. And you know what the fruit of knowing this truth is? God's mystery, which is Christ. Abounding peace and comfort. Knowing Christ is ruling and reigning in the world. But more than that, Paul highlights a third aspect of the treasure that is Christ. And that is that knowing Christ brings all the treasure of wisdom and knowledge. You know, if you're honest on first reading of that aspect of Christ as treasure, wisdom and knowledge doesn't sound so exciting. You know, in my mind, I sort of picture an old, wise man, you know, in a library with old books and kind of think to myself, it sounds a little bit boring and impractical, to be honest. Not sure if I want that aspect of this treasure. You see, knowledge is about truth. It's about knowing what's real and knowing what's not. And truth is power. Because you can't be trapped by lies if you know the truth. But knowledge is different from wisdom. You see, you can know a lot and still be a fool. Because wisdom is knowledge applied. Wisdom is the skill, the art of living in the world in a way that brings the most joy and blessing and fruit of the Holy Spirit and most pleases God and produces good in the lives of those around us. And our passage informs us that there is only one true source 
of knowledge and of wisdom. And that is Christ. You see, our world is constantly throwing counterfeit wisdom at us. Here's a five-point plan for relational success. Here are three tips to live a happy and fulfilled life. Here's a game-changing parenting strategy. Here's the latest diet and exercise regime to help you live longer. All of these might be helpful, but none of them will give you wisdom or true knowledge. You know, the only way to find true wisdom in this complicated world that we live in is to look to our maker, is to look to Christ himself. You know, this would have been a rebuke to the false teachers in Colossae who would look to Jewish customs or pagan beliefs who were teaching Christ plus something else. And these baby Christians were at risk of being lured away by false worldly wisdom. And so Paul's out to warn them. And so he says in verses 4 and 5, he says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. These false teachers are going to try and delude you, to try and lead you astray. Though I'm not present with you, I'm just rejoicing, knowing you're going to stand firm on Christ. You know, Scripture says uh, that I was reading this week, Proverbs 2.6, For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. See, Christ's wisdom, the wisdom that is the treasure of Christ, comes from his word, from the Scripture. It's a precious treasure with wisdom, unlike anything in this world. Because it's the wisdom of the cross. It's the wisdom that says strength is found in weakness. It's the wisdom that says greatness is found in humility. It's the wisdom that says love those who hate you. It's the wisdom that says pray for those who persecute you. It's the wisdom that says lose your life and you will find it. You know, when you encounter Christ, he is a matchless treasure. And you can't but help treasure his words when you encounter him. You know, even yesterday, I was reading my devotionals from Luke 4, 31, and something struck me that I'd never seen before. It says, And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And Jesus goes on to heal a man possessed by demons, and it says in verse 36 of chapter 4, And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. Jesus' words absolutely amazed people. Because they're infinitely wise and infinitely powerful. Like nothing they'd ever seen before. Again, I was reading just in my devotionals yesterday, Psalm 119.97. The psalmist writes, Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. Verse 99. I have more understanding than all my teachers for your testimonies and my meditation. Verse 103. How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. You see, Christ is a matchless treasure who not only made us, who not only sustains us, who not only reconciled us to himself, but brings full assurance of understanding who brings us the knowledge of God's secret work, who brings us all wisdom and knowledge. That's point number two, our matchless treasure. But not just point number two, point number three, treasuring Christ together. 
I want to just ask a question. The question is this. What do you do if, like so many of us, you know that Christ is a matchless treasure intellectually, but you just don't feel it at all? What if Christ is a matchless treasure in your head, but not in your heart? What do you do? Well, this question brings us to the beautiful hope contained within our passage. You see, the secret key to experiencing so much joy in Christ is right here. The key that is so frequently lost in our Western individualistic culture, it's right here. Read with me again verse 1 of chapter 2. Paul says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have had for you and for all those at Laodicea, for all those that have not seen me face to face. My purpose, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. Listen to this. In order to reach all the riches of full assurance, of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Why was Paul so bothered about strengthening the resolve of these Christians to be knit together in love? Why was he so bothered that they were unified despite great diversity? Why was he pouring himself out to ensure they would do likewise, that they'd be unified and knit together in love? In order that they might reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You see, Paul saw that the riches of full assurance, that the riches of true knowledge, that the riches of wisdom, that the riches of Christ are to be found in the context of loving community. You know, it makes so so much sense when we even just stop to consider the teachings of Christ himself. You see, when the church community is unified in love, it displays Christ in a special way. John 13, 35, Jesus says, This is how they'll know you're my disciples, by the love that you have for one another. You see, when the church community is unified in love, all the parts of the body are present and working together. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, he says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. You see, when the church community is unified in love, Christ is present in a unique way. Jesus himself says this. He says, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among you. You know, I found a quote just this morning from Dietrich Bonhoeffer writing from Nazi Germany about the privilege that it is to meet that so many people don't enjoy. And I think it just really sums this up so well. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says the following. He says, The prisoner, the sick person, the Christian in exile sees in the companionship of a fellow Christian a physical sign of the gracious presence of the triune God. Visitor and visited in loneliness recognize in each other the Christ who is present in the body. They receive and meet each other as one meets the Lord in reverence, in humility and joy. They receive each other's benedictions as the benediction of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
But if there is so much blessing and joy, even in a single encounter of a brother with brother, how inexhaustible are the riches that open up for those who by God's will are privileged to live in the daily fellowship of life with other Christians. Isn't that so true? If a lonely or ill Christian can find so much joy in the presence of another Christian, so much example and nearness of the Lord himself, how much greater then should we find inexpressible joy in Christ when we're privileged to do life with other members of his body? You see, the riches of Christ are to be found in the context of loving community. Or put another way, you won't treasure Christ if you don't treasure the body of Christ. Can I ask you a personal question? Are you struggling to treasure Christ? Maybe you're distracted. Other treasures have caught your eye. A career or family or studies or investment or property or holidays or sports or renovations or social causes or a relationship. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe life has not turned out how you thought. Maybe you're struggling with health and discouraged about a struggle with sin or relational conflict or career or finances or loneliness. Maybe you're just apathetic. Christ is a part of your life, but not a treasure. And it doesn't even bother you too much that Christ is not your treasure. Well, here's the question I want to ask you, if that's you. How are you going in loving the body of Christ? You know, some people will say to me, oh, look, not too bad because, you know, I've got Christian friends or family. I kind of like to spend time with them and I care about them. And that's a good thing. But that's also just loving those who love you. And it's not really what Paul has in mind here. Why does Paul struggle and strive to see these people knit together? He does it because it's not easy. They need sacrificial love for one another. He's addressing a community of believers. He's addressing the church and he's encouraging them to be knit together. So the question I have for you then, if that's you, and for all of us this morning to consider, is how knit together in love are you with those in our Christian community? Do you mind if I press you even a little bit further this morning, church? What would those in your gospel community say if I asked them about how knit together in love you are with them? You know, just this morning, I'm not out to condemn you. I want to show you the marvelous opportunity. My heart for us as a church is this, that we may be encouraged in heart, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding of the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's what I want for us this morning as a church. You know, I wonder if there's some people listening this morning who are feeling like, yeah, that's me. 
You know, I, I don't really feel like Christ is a treasure to me, and I, I don't really think like I'm knit together in love with people in this community, but what do I do next? How can I change? Well, I want to close with some practical encouragements for you. First of all, my practical encouragement is to remember chapter 1, verse 27. The riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Friend, if that's you, that's a beautiful evidence of grace that you would even see that this morning and want to change. And that's something worth celebrating, that God is already at work in your life. But here are a few practical steps. Firstly, I encourage you just to pray. Colossians 2, 2 to 3. And ask God to give you a heart first for Christ that wants to treasure him and secondly for people in your community. That you would really treasure him and his body as well. Secondly, I just want to encourage you to confess it. Confess your struggle to others in your gospel community. Share with them that you haven't been treasuring Christ and the people in your community like you should be. And ask for them to pray for you. And lastly, pray and look for an opportunity to demonstrate the love of Christ to someone in our community this week. And I believe you'll be surprised with the innumerous opportunities that God will place along your path. Well, friends, though our world may feel at times like it's being torn apart, we have a message of power that binds us together, and that is Christ crucified, risen and reigning and for all. And Paul's great struggle was for the loving unity of those that he hadn't even ever met before. He saw our matchless treasure, which is the Lord Jesus, a fount of assurance and wisdom and knowledge. And he was struggling for their loving unity together. He knew that where they would experience Christ as that's where they would experience Christ as a matchless treasure. Friends, I hope that you've seen that Christ is a matchless treasure who we experience most richly when we are together. Won't you join with me in praying as we close? Look, God, thank you so much for your kindness with us again this morning. Thank you so much that that is true. What was true of the Colossians is true of us as well as the local church, that though we're of many different backgrounds and ethnicities, you have bound us together as one because of Christ. And Lord, if some of us this morning have maybe been struggling to treasure you, maybe knowing intellectually that you're a treasure, but struggling to really have that as true in their heart. Lord, I pray that you would freshly convict us of the beautiful opportunity we have to treasure Christ more, and that is in and through the people you've placed around us in community. And Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, this morning, even as restrictions are easing, you would help us to move towards those in our community in loving unity. And in doing so, Lord, we pray that we experience even more of the sweetness that comes from knowing you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.